Good morning. Why should he love me so? Someone said that the deepest or the most difficult question in life begins with the three-letter word, why. Why? Why should he love any of us so much as he did? It's a real privilege to be with you all again this Sunday morning and to share with you something from the Word of God, which I trust will be a blessing to all of us. And more than that, that our Lord will be honored and glorified. There are a lot of great words in Christianity. And among these great words are words like forgiveness and justification and reconciliation. There's the word grace and the word mercy. There are words like compassion and patience and long-suffering. And the word I'd like to think about this morning is faith. Faith. My subject this morning is faith, dead or alive. And I'd like for us to read from the book of James, chapter 2. James, chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Reading at verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith it if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham... Our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar. You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. And God will bless the reading of his word to us. May we pray. Father, we come to you this morning recognizing that we have need of you whenever we take it upon ourselves to look at your word and to think about it and to really hear what you have to say. And so, Father, this morning we pray that uh, you would take these words printed on the page and make them alive to us as they have not been alive in the past. 
Bless us. Bless this congregation of your children. Thank you, Father, for being present with us. And we say this in Jesus' name. Amen. This part of the book of James, which we read, is regarded by many as controversial, especially that great man, Martin Luther. Martin Luther, for all of his capable teachings of the Bible, was inclined to classify James as an epistle of straw, because it seemed to be at variance with his favorite theme, salvation by grace through faith, apart from works. The Roman Catholic Church regards church tradition as an important factor in salvation. And before I was ever aware of the book of James, I was aware that there was a number of questions about this word faith. As a young boy, I used to hear things like this. Someone was of the Lutheran faith. Someone was of the Methodist faith. And I was of the Roman Catholic faith. It didn't take much intelligence to conclude that this word faith had different shades of meaning to different persons. And as I grew older, my experience in life grew. I heard a few people say, it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you have faith in something. Have you heard that one? Then there are those people who said you need, above all else, to have faith in yourself. I also heard this word faith applied to sports. As in, if you have faith, you can do it. All you need is faith. Grab some out here, you know, and ingest it somehow, and you will be a winner. At this point, I was ready for my collegiate dictionary. And the dictionary had several definitions, at least five. The number one definition was that faith meant belief or mental assent. Definition number five was that faith meant honesty or fidelity. When I finally came to the Bible... I memorized a few Bible verses with regard to faith. And the very first one was Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He is, that He exists, and that He is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek Him. I trust we have some earnest seekers here. Amen. And then I memorized Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that one should boast. And then one last verse I memorized was Romans chapter 1, verse 17. The just shall live by faith. And my conclusion after all of this memorization, after thinking about these things, 
was that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ must be one of the most important words, most important concepts ever. Because my eternal destiny depended upon my faith in the proper object, Jesus Christ. When I finally came to the book of James, I began to understand why there was a difference between people who said they had faith, people who said they were Christians. Some of these people who said they had faith seemed to be alive, seemed to have something within them, an energy, a, an outlook, a spirit of, of compassion for others. A love for God. They worshipped God. There were these kinds of people. Then there were others who said they had faith. And they didn't seem to have much interest in God. They didn't seem to have much interest in God's people or being with them. And so I said to myself, what's going on here? You know, here are these people who say they have faith, but they function so differently. What's going on? Is Bill Gates or Warren Buffett worthy of heaven because they have given at least 60 billion, with a capital B, billion dollars to help the needy of the world? Are their gifts worthy of salvation? I remembered Jesus telling the story of the poor woman who gave a few pennies. Actually, that was all she had. And yet Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, this poor woman put in more than all of them, the scribes, for they out of their surplus put into the offering, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. So what's going on here? Is this widow's giving just two measly coins Worthy to be compared with $60 billion. The, the contrast is so huge. And yet Jesus tells us that she gave more. When I was in business, I had an appointment with the president of a company that we were doing business with. I was just getting warmed up. (laughs) Okay. I had this uh, meeting uh, scheduled with the president of a particular company I was doing business with at a hotel in San Francisco. And I arrived at the appointed time, but he was late. And uh, when he finally came, I asked him where he was. And he said, well, you know, I'm Jewish. And today's Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And so I was at services. And I said to him, why did you go? I said, you're not Jewish. He said, what do you mean I'm not Jewish? I have a Jewish mother and I have a Jewish father. 
And how can you tell me I'm not Jewish? I said, you're not Jewish. I said, you go to services one day a year, and that qualifies you to be Jewish? I said, what about the rest of the year? And what about the rest of the things that uh, Judaism asks you to do? Well, we had a very interesting conversation. (laughs) In our passage... And I trust you followed the reading closely. And if you haven't, then look at it again. Jesus brings four examples of faith that we want to look at this morning. First, there are two examples of a phony faith. A phony faith. And they're in verses 15, 16, and 19. And secondly, there are two examples of genuine faith, verses 21 and 25. And all four examples are followed by an appropriate lesson that James wants to impress upon his readers and us. All four examples arise in answer to the question that is asked in verse 14, can faith without works save him? Now, a great deal of controversy arose about this section of Scripture could really be avoided if we would only read more carefully the verse that is before us. It's important to note in verse 14 that what James does not say, he does not say, though a man has faith, but rather the text says, if a man says he has faith. And the first epistle of John, chapter 1, verse 6, presents the same argument. It says there, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not do the truth. So James puts it, if a man says, first John says, if we say, both are telling us that words alone are not sufficient indicators of saving faith. What James is saying is that not everyone who claims or says he has faith is a genuine believer. And now James is ready, using examples, what the difference is between phony and genuine faith. And the first example of phony faith is an armchair do-gooder in verses 15 and 16. And this person is full of advice, which instead of helping the situation, the effect is to deepen the discouragement of the poor person. How would you feel if you were hungry and cold and had no money and someone told you to go to the best restaurant in Danville And order a big meal. Be sure to have dessert. And then they said to you, go in peace. It's great, isn't it? When the Lord Jesus told people to go in peace, as he did in Luke's gospel, it was only after the person's need had been met. In Luke chapter 8, verse 48 The woman who we call the woman with the issue of blood 
is first cured of her ailment. And then Jesus says to her, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. Go in peace. A number of years ago, I was in the church office and a man knocked at my office door and told me he was hungry. After a short talk, I gave him some money. He thanked me and then he stopped and assured me it would not be used for alcohol or drugs. I said, I told him I was giving him the money in the name of the Lord and I was quite happy to leave it at that. I was not going to conduct an investigation to see whether or not he used the money properly. Not long after that incident, I got a call from a former student of mine. And uh, he began like this. Is this Hugo? Yes, I said. He said, Hugo Santucci? And I said, yes. And then he said, thank God I found you. I need help. And he repeated this three or four times. How can I help you? We talked at some length. He moved to our town and stayed there for about a month. And for about a month and every single day, probably not Sunday, we did some deep counseling. This man had been on the mission field with his wife returned and was off the mission field for seven or eight years and now is back on the mission field. I tell you this because it would have been easy, relatively easy to have put these people off, to tell them, go in peace, or to tell them, well, you know, the Lord blessed you. I hope things work out. I could have avoided becoming involved and avoiding the personal stress that these things sometimes bring. And it's easy to minimize human need. So what is the point of James' examples and maybe of my, my example? I think it's this. Faith exposes its true nature by its reaction to human need. If faith is genuine, it reacts in a way to help the need. Phony faith puts it off and usually doesn't get involved. And the genuine, and the general lesson here is that the kind of faith that says, the kind of faith that is genuine is that which proves its genuineness by the evidence of compassion for those who have a need. Now, the second example of a phony faith are the believing demons in verses 18 and 20 to 20. And I want you to notice particularly verse 19. This book of James is written so wonderfully. The contrasts are so big. Uh, you know, here's a, here's a person that is a, a demon Or here's a demon, and here's another person who simply says, you know, uh, go in peace. And the contrasts are huge. And we'll see some more contrasts later. The demons, in verse 19, this 
obviously is an unusual example of belief. Because James is telling us that the demons have something in common with Jews all over the world. Now, I want you to understand what this is. Every Jew throughout the world, including our day and age, says the same thing every Friday night in their temples or synagogues. It's called the Shema. And the Shema in its original form is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. And it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And here in this passage, we have the demons believing that the Lord is one. Even the demons can quote the Shema. As we have it there in verse 19. And James says, even the demons believe this. Is that saving faith? The problem is, these demons are still demons. They are not demons that are saved, even though James says they believe this central tenet of Judaism. James says the demons believe in shudder. And this demonstrates that this kind of belief is empty. How is that? Genuine faith produces the fruit of peace. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Biblical faith affects a person's relationship with God so much that there is a rest. No more hostility. It's a kind of peace that says to the believer that everything is okay between me and God, between you and God. And the believer doesn't shudder at the thought of God as being the judge of all the earth. There's a great difference between peace and shuddering. Now we move on to two great examples of genuine faith. And first we have the example of Abraham in verses 21 to 24. And I'm sure I don't need to remind you that Abraham is called the father of the faithful, the friend of God. And the heart of James's argument is expressed in verse 22. I want you to really look at that. That's a great verse. Faith and his actions working together. There's a synergy between faith and works. They go together. And that's what this verse is telling us. Faith and his actions working together. What happens when they work together? The text tells us. Faith is perfected, made complete or mature by what he did. It's a perfection there. Abraham's faith was challenged to the very depths in verse 21, but it stood fast because it was genuine. If I remember correctly, there are at least, there are recorded at least ten different tests in the life of Abraham. But this last one, the tenth, was undoubtedly the most 
difficult one of all. That's when he was asked to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Abraham came to maturity when the faith he expressed in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, where he believed God, proved victorious to the challenge in Genesis 22, where he was asked to sacrifice his son. About 30 years before Abraham was tested with regard to his son Isaac, God had appeared to him and told him that he was going to have a son. And he took Abraham outside and he said, Abraham, look up. You see the stars up there? There's a lot of them, aren't there? See those stars up there? Your descendants are going to be greater than the number of the stars. And the Bible says, here's the great verse, Genesis 15, 6. If you've never memorized it, here's a great verse. And Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Abraham put his faith in God, even though he and his wife were old. Abraham's faith was productive. It genuinely trusted in God's promise. It was genuinely obedient. And the principle of this example is that Abraham's works and his acts of obedience demonstrated that the faith he had in God was the genuine article. He was genuine. He believed here 30 years later when God tests him. The tenth test, he passes with flying colors. He believed God and he did what God said. The second example of genuine faith is Rahab versus 25 and 26. And the illustration of faith here is very remarkable. James moves from the greatest name associated with faith all the way down to Rahab. Great faith, Rahab. Consider this. Rahab is a Gentile. Rahab is a prostitute. Rahab is a woman in a patriarchal society. And what can we learn from that? We learn certainly that God is no respecter of persons and that he honors genuine faith wherever it's found and with whomever it is found. Even a Rahab. As a matter of fact, did you notice the language in verse 25? Was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did? Even Rahab, even this woman, this prostitute, this Gentile, 
Even this woman who, when we read the text, we find she didn't exercise really perfect faith, but she had faith. Rahab's actions demonstrated a belief so real that she's willing to put her life on the line by receiving the spies and then providing a way so they could escape without harm. Here was a faith that was sacrificial and concerned for the welfare of others. Well, let's conclude and maybe try to pull together the threads by asking ourselves two questions that are answered in our passage. First, what does James mean by the word faith when he used it alone or as verse 17 says, faith by itself? Faith by itself. The answer is in verses 14 to 20, which tell us that faith that is alone means a mere profession, a reciting what may be the correct words, or as verse 14 says, if a man claims to have faith. When we confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, that confession or profession will be followed by our actions of obedience to God. Uh, they just work together. As the text said, faith and works working together. Uh, and that's what we want to see is that article of genuineness. You may remember the uh, parable Jesus told about the man who came to the wedding feast who wasn't wearing wedding clothes. When he was asked how he uh, managed to get in, the man was speechless, without excuses, and was put out from the wedding feast. Now, you might ask the question, what difference do wedding clothes make? You know, if you have a tux or if you have a sports jacket, you know, what, what difference does it make? Or what do they represent? Might be a more even insightful question. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 8, speaking about another wedding feast, reminds us that the clothing of the bride of Christ is fine linen, bright and clean. Then the verse goes on to define the linen. The fine linen refers to the righteous acts or deeds of the saints. Works, in other words. It's okay to claim faith in Christ, but it needs to be clothed or confirmed by a visible change in one's life. Because belief in Christ is going to make a change. It's going to make an absolute change. And the folks who are going to be baptized here this afternoon are going to say, I take my stand and I confess Christ as Savior in my life. And I want to live for Him.
You know, that's what we say. The second question, what are the primary works of faith? Or are there any? I'd like to suggest the answer to that question is that they are the works of Abraham and Rahab. What was the work of Abraham? It was that he held nothing back from God. God said, I want your son. The son you love, your only son. And Abraham said, you can have him. He held nothing back. And the message of the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 is that Abraham trusted God and with regard to his son, he trusted that God would raise him from the dead if necessary. I suggest that's the work of Abraham. He held nothing back. And what was the work of Rahab? First of all, she clearly saw the God of Israel. She clearly saw who he was and she gave her testimony about God in Joshua chapter 2 and verse 11. And this is what she said of God. He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. She acknowledged God's supremacy and his lordship. And on the basis of that testimony, she reached out to help others. And that's the challenge I would like to leave with you this morning. With regard to the works of Abraham, can you tell God, here I am, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours. I don't want to hold anything back. Nothing. Nothing. And do you confess, do you indeed confess the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, If we believe in our heart, if we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we shall be saved. And I'd like to leave that challenge with you with regard to trusting in God and allowing God to do His good work in our lives. And uh, may He bless you all with, a, with that kind of trust in a good God who loves us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful to be called your children. Thank you, Lord, that you have made it possible by the death of your Son, who was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And Father, we do pray that uh, as we have talked about faith, phony faith, genuine faith. Father, we do pray that you would help us as we seek to uh, be obedient to you in your word and to follow after you. 
Bless this congregation of your people, Father in heaven. And would you bless each one here. Dismiss us now with your blessing and go before us throughout the day. For we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.